It's a joy to be with you. Um, it really is. Merrin and I have been here since 2011, um, here in Oxford, and also uh, here at OCC. And I think when you're in Oxford for more than five years, I think they start naming buildings after you, don't they? Uh, you get a memorial uh, wing or something like that. So I'm looking forward to ours being there anytime soon. And this has been our home. And I loved what Dan started the, the service off. If you're disappointed or if you're grieving today, you're in the right place. That was a really beautiful phrase, and you're in the right place. And if there is some loneliness, if there is some brokenness, you're in the right place. There are two big human questions that we all ask, and we start asking them as teenagers, and then we particularly start asking them in our kind of 20s and 30s and things like that. And those two questions are, who am I, and why am I here? Now, I used to think that you could answer those questions once for all, then put them aside. I used to think that if you prayed and if you discovered what your gifts and your talents were and if you pursued the passions that you have, that you would find the one big thing that you were meant to do with your life and then spend the rest of your days doing it. Now I'm not so sure. Very few people in their 40s end up doing what they planned in their 20s. In 2013, a friend and I did a pilgrimage, and we started off at this place here. Anybody pick it? Do you know where it is? Call it out if you do. It's in the north of England. Lindisfarne, Holy Island Lindisfarne. 160 residents and a handful of sheep. If you're a Starbucks addict, you are going to suffer big time. <laughs> My friend and I, we did this pilgrimage from Lindisfarne, 116 miles down to Durham, and we passed caves and castles, and we saw all sorts of immense beauty like this because the north is just God-blessed place. But as I, and all the people from the north say, yes, amen, you've got, the, you've, got the, you've got it right. But I was trying to work this out. I was trying to work out how, who I could become now that life had gone wrong because I was just like the pilgrims of old. I was walking with questions in my mind and my heart, and those questions for me, as a 40-something-year-old then... Well, who am I and why am I here? Now, wasn't I supposed to have answers for those things already? I had. I'd had answers for 15, 20 odd years. But then a few things happened. We came here in 2011 after 10 years of trying to start a family. And you name it, we tried it, bar surrogacy. We tried special diets. We tried special supplements. We tried chiropractic. And to this day, I do not know why we tried chiropractic. Uh, we tried adoption. We did eight months of assessment in Sydney in Australia. We waited for two years to, to, for that phone call to come, to come and pick up our child. The phone call never came. We tried IVF for the first time in 2006. We tried all sorts of rounds of IVF in 2010 to try and get this dream fulfilled. And then Christmas Eve of 2010, we had been told that we were pregnant. There was jubilation amongst all our, fam our family and friends. And then on Christmas Eve of 2010, we had a phone call from the IVF clinic saying, I'm so sorry you're not. It had been a false positive. A little while after that, Merrin got offered a job at Oxford University. It's not as good as Brooks. We know that. <laughs> and so we saw that as God's direction then to come here. A wonderful move for Marin. She has not looked back. A more difficult move for me. Because by that stage, I had established myself as, you're going to love this, a writer, a speaker, and a broadcaster. Is that not impressive? <laughs> a writer, a speaker, a broadcaster. And then I came here, and publishers were turning me down. 
who's Sheridan Voisey? Nobody's going to buy a book from somebody they don't know. BBC weren't returning my phone calls back then, and nobody was asking me to speak at their events. So I was thinking, okay, Sheridan, let's get this straight. You can't become a father, and then the writer, speaker, broadcaster bit is looking iffy now as well. Who are you? What are you here to do? I ended up writing that story into a book called Resurrection Year. It got rejected by all the British publishers. It got picked up by the biggest publisher in, in America. God bless the Americans. <laughs> and as a result of that story going, going out, funny enough, it actually touched with a whole bunch of people uh, for whom infertility wasn't their issue. Their issue was all sorts of other broken dreams. And I started getting hundreds of long, detailed stories from people who had read that book. And I was getting stories from people like this woman who couldn't have kids, and she was saying, I can't become a mother. If that doesn't happen for me, life seems pointless. And then a guy who had lost his career, and he said, every idea I had about who I could become has now gone and been stripped away. And then this woman here, I no longer know who I am or why I'm here. And I realized as I was doing that little pilgrimage down to Durham that the questions that I had turned out to be the questions that other people were asking as well. And I was actually searching for answers, not just for myself, but also for them. And my publishers now would be very unhappy if I didn't also let you know there happens to be a new book about that with a few answers as well. It's available this morning. Add over. Some words of Paul are going to be guiding us for the next little while. Let's read these out loud together. They're really important. Follow God's... Out loud means literally out loud. With your mouth, with, with volume. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Or put a little bit more simply, follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Say that out loud as well. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. One more time and louder. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. I want this to go deep into us this morning. I really do. If you're a millennial asking the two questions, this is your verse. If you are a student wondering how you're going to deal with all the pressure now that you've finally made it to Oxford, this is your verse. If you're a 40-something, if you're a Radio 4 listener and you're asking those questions again, then this is your verse. This, I believe, has all the answers in it for the rest of our lives to walk on in a powerful, God-blessed way. So DJ is my friend and I who were doing this uh, pilgrimage. We saw some wonderful beauty as we were doing this pilgrimage. We got to see the amazing mudflats of Lindisfarne. If you walk the Pilgrim's Way, you see that. It's miles and miles of this beautiful mirrored mudflats. Absolutely gorgeous. The amazing sweeping sands of sea houses, beach, just gorgeous place. Uh, we got to see amazing old caves where great monks would go and pray and see the north brought to uh, faith. And finally, we arrived in the great walls of Durham Cathedral. For the second day of our pilgrimage, we were walking mostly in light of this. Anybody know where this is or what this is? Which castle it might be? Yeah? Bambra. It's not. It's the next one down from Bambra. 
It's Dunstanborough. Dunstanborough Castle, built by Thomas, Earl of Lancaster, in the 14th century. Uh, this would have been quite the sight in its day. It is huge. It would take a good half hour to walk around the whole thing. Absolutely giant. It's perched on a hill. It can be seen for miles from every direction. He actually had artificial lakes built into the environment so that it would reflect those soaring towers. It would have made quite the impact when you were walking up to it. Dunsinbrook Castle, 700 years later, keeps Thomas Earl of Lancaster's name alive. That's a pretty good legacy, don't you think? That's a pretty good legacy. What would you like to leave behind you when you die? What will your legacy be? Wouldn't it be great to give to the world a scientific breakthrough or some sort of medical breakthrough? Wouldn't it be great to start a new company or perhaps give the world a, a great charity? What about writing a book or having your artwork hang in the Tate? You parents are going to be giving a legacy to the world simply by bequeathing to the world new human beings. The problem is that when the books don't sell and the art isn't picked up by the art world and the charity doesn't fly and the husband or the wife doesn't come and the kids don't come, then leaving a legacy starts to look shaky. Oh, to be like Thomas Earl of Lancaster and leave your mark on the world. There's just one problem. Thomas really didn't need to build a castle there. Everybody has scratched their heads. Historians have tried to work out why is there Dunsinbrough Castle in this spot? It wasn't near any village that needed to be protected. It wasn't near anything like that that needed kind of to have some sort of fort based by it. Uh, we don't even know that Thomas lived there. All we have in the history books is a little reference that he trotted past it on his horse one morning. It seems as if Dunsinbrough Castle was built for one purpose, to make Thomas look good. It only half worked. When you walk up to the entrance, there's a little information sign. You read the information that sign, and it tells you about Thomas Earl of Lancaster, and it tells you that he is, I quote, or he was, an arrogant and unpopular man. <laughs> How tragic. You build a castle, you leave a legacy, and you are forever remembered as an arrogant and unpopular man. Thomas built a castle and gained a heart of stone. So as DJ and I were kind of walking past that, that got us thinking about our funerals. We're a cheery bunch. <laughs> it's a really powerful exercise. You think about your final days, and you think about that moment where then everybody comes together to remember you. What are they saying? What's your family saying? What are your friends saying? What are your church members saying? What are people across the world saying about you? And as much as DJ and I started thinking about this and kind of bandying between us what people might be saying, the less we could hear people talking about the things most of us spend most of our time and energy on. So we couldn't hear anybody talk about the universities we attended. We couldn't hear anybody talk about the degrees that we got or the awards that maybe we were given. We heard nobody talk about books that I had written or radio shows that I had done. We heard nobody talk about DJ's PhD, all of which are really important things. Really important things. On March the 5th, when we gather together to remember Eileen Elmett, what do you think is going to happen when we talk around ourselves about Eileen? We're going to be standing there talking about a house and talking about her car and the brand that she had in her kitchen and 
We're going to talk about the kind of clothes that she wore. We're going to talk about where she went to university and maybe the degrees and honors that she got along the way. No. We're going to be talking about how when, she, when we needed a listening ear, she was there. We're going to be talking about when we need somebody to pray and talk through and keep something confidential, she was there. What did Beck say from this stage this time last week? She said, as, a, as an 18-year-old in an absolute mess, this woman came along and scooped me up. And so what happens when you think about your funeral, a funeral tells us what is most important in life. It reminds us that it's not about building castles. It's about the person you become in the end. Have you ever noticed that when God reveals himself to Moses on Mount Sinai, remember that profound moment when God reveals who he is to to Moses, have you ever noticed that he never mentions his job descriptions? He doesn't say, the Lord, the Lord, creator of the cosmos, king of the earth, judge of the world. He never lists his career achievements. He doesn't say, the Lord, the Lord, invented the atom, and I'm quite proud about that myself. The Lord, the Lord, created a hundred billion galaxies, and that was a big day. The Lord, the Lord, created musical notes for Coldplay to use. He doesn't mention any of that. No, what does he say? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, showing love to a thousand generations, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. When God comes and displays who he is, he doesn't give his business card, he doesn't give his resume, he gives his character. He gives who he is. And you're saying, Sheridan, when are you getting back to Ephesians 5? Now we're getting back to Ephesians 5, because... Paul tells us, follow God's example. You say, well, what does that mean in the context? Very good. That's a very good question to ask in a church. Go back a verse and you find what it means. And in words that sound like they have echoed directly off Mount Sinai, we hear this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. All this leads to the idea. We are to follow God's example. We are to be people of character, and it's that character that is the most important thing that we could ever be and we could ever give, and this is good news for people for whom life has gone wrong. I was speaking with a a family once. They had me over for dinner, and uh, the lady, the wife, her name, I'll call her Susan, and I said, Susan, what do you do? And she said, oh, not much, and I thought, well, that's got to be a lie, So I said, okay, tell me what you did from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday onwards this week. She said, okay, let me think about that. Okay, Monday, uh, well, every Monday I mentor two young women. So we had them over and um, girls in their 20s, wonderful girls, going to be great women of God. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays I help a friend who's recovering from surgery. Um, And then Friday and Saturday this week I uh, helped with a ministry in our church, touched 100 lives of women in the church. Uh, And then, of course, she also cooked and cleaned and provided for her family. And then, at that moment, she was providing hospitality to me. And I said, Susan, you're doing so much with your life. And she says, I don't often feel so because I'm not earning a wage. Ever felt that? Ever felt that if what you're doing doesn't have money attached to it, or it doesn't have a title attached to it, that somehow it isn't as valuable? Follow God's example. Follow God's example. 
He is the one who is doing... He doesn't lead with his business card. He doesn't lead with his resume. He leads with who he is, what matters most in life, friends. I hope you get it. It's not the castles we build, as wonderful as it can be, to write a book or do the medical breakthrough, whatever it might be, have the children. All of those are great things. But what matters in the end is the person you become. And that's good news for people whose life has not gone to plan because it means when you can't become who you want to be, you can still become who you're meant to be. And that's godly. You with me so far? Okay, that's the first of 12 points, so we'll just make our way through. (laughs) DJ and I got to meet some really interesting people along our pilgrimage. This is Maine. Um, I didn't quite realize he said his name with a really strong northern accent. So I, for the rest of the pilgrimage, kept on talking about Mian. His name's Maine. Maine made me swear that I would not let you know where he lived because he doesn't want you to come and bring your fancy cafes. (laughs) So it's Maine the fisherman. There was uh, Brenda who uh, ran the little ice cream shop in Cresswell, Cresswell Ices. Cresswell has no supermarket, no pub, no place to buy meals, no, pla- no place to buy vegetables, but you can buy ice cream. Your kids will love it, as did we. So there was, there was uh, Brenda, and then right there in the middle is Paul. Paul's an Anglican vicar. He heard about what we were doing. He came and joined us for a section of the pilgrimage, and he helped us model Apple products for the cameras as well. <laughs> And as we're walking along with Paul, um, DJ is my friend on the right, and DJ says to Paul, so Paul, have you got a family? And Paul says, uh, all proud, yes, I've got three kids, and number four is on the way any day. Wow, conception. Have you ever stopped to think how amazing conception is? One sperm out of millions meets one egg out of thousands in one moment of love to create us, and before that, our parents, and before that, their parents, and before that, their parents, that goes on infinitesimally back into history. One different sperm, one different egg, one argument, one mistrain, and you and I wouldn't be here. It's profound, utterly profound. Kept on walking, said to Paul, do you know what you're going to have yet? And he says, yes, we're going to have a little girl. Wow. Unique body. Matchless face, a face that's never been seen in history. Maybe mum's lips and dad's nose and maybe the hair or chin of a great-grandmother somewhere. This unique body and face already a someone because of the fabric of relationships that she's already woven into, even unborn. Right then, at that moment, even though she wasn't yet born, that little girl was already a daughter and a sister and a grandchild and a niece And soon, she would become a friend and a neighbor and a citizen. That little girl would be born into the world with a whole raft of identities ready-made, given to her as a gift. I said, Paul, how's, how's the pregnancy gone? Has it gone okay for your wife Miriam? And this is when his face got downcast. He said, actually, it's been stressful. All the signs are pointing to our little girl having Down syndrome. That's been hard enough to face, but that's not been the stress. The stress has been facing the medical staff every time we go in there and the nurses and the doctors who every time we go in tell us that we can have an abortion and we can move on and try again 
for a normal child. A normal child. That little girl would soon be born, be given the name Phoebe, and she would bring all sorts of personality and talent and character into the world. Without that little girl, the world would miss out on a daughter and a sister and a grandchild and a niece and soon a nephew and a, a, soon a, a neighbor and a, and, a, and a citizen and a friend. That little girl, Genesis 1 says, is made in the image of God, which means she has divine value beyond human value. That little girl, Psalm 139 says, is fearfully and wonderfully made. A normal child? She's already sacred. And there's something that got me as we were walking along and Paul and DJ and I were talking, is that in just the same way, we truncate our understanding of ourselves in the way that she was truncated as just being either normal, abnormal, or what, just one or two things. You think about it. In the West, for those of us in countries like the United Kingdom, Australia, the United States, when it comes to defining who you are, what is it down to? It's generally down to one of two things. What do you think it is? I am a... It'll be something to do with your job, or I am a, be something to do with your parental status. So what do you say? Oh, I'm an engineer and I'm a father of four, right? There are the two, two bases. Or I'm a mother of three and I'm a copywriter by trade. That is actually very dif- distinctly Western. Uh, go to other tribes and they'll first of all talk about, well, I'm a member of this particular tribal. It's not the only way to think about ourselves. But already, just like that little girl... We, too, have a matchless body. (laughs) Some of us. Matchless body. (laughs) That was a bad joke. Matchless body. A never-before-seen face. And we, too, are made in the image of God. We, too, are fearfully and wonderfully made. And, friends, I think this is the most important thing that can come out, is that when life doesn't go to plan, you can't become who you want to be but you can actually discover who you already are. You can have a bigger picture of who you already are. Right now, I am a husband, and I'm a son, and I'm a brother, and I'm a friend. Thank you, Dan. And I think that's one of the big gifts that happened for me when I was writing the book and going through this whole pilgrimage was discovering the beauty and the power and the holy calling that it is to be called a friend in somebody's life. An absolute holy calling it is. But for us Christians, there's something even bigger and mightier that undergirds all of that. And that's when Paul then tells us, follow God's example as dearly loved children. If you're a Christian, you're a child of God. And nothing can take that identity away from you. You didn't earn it. It was given to you as a gift. And it means profound things. To be a child of God means that you are not valued by how you look, where you live, what you know, what you own. You are valued for whose you are. It means that in your loneliest moments, there is still somebody in the room with you. It means that when you're lost and far away in a far-off country being a prodigal, there is still a home for you to return to. It means that you have an identity that can never be shaken, never be taken. It means that when all else is lost, you still have an inheritance from heaven. You are a child of God. 
And that identity is the greatest gift you could possibly have. And Paul doesn't say just, you know, uh, follow God's example as God's child. No, he says, follow God's example as dearly loved children. How dearly loved? Well, right now, the moon spins around us at 2,300 miles an hour, while we spin around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour, while our sun spins around our galaxy, one of 100 billion other galaxies. You might have heard that. God made those. He's very proud of it. Uh, At 248,000 miles an hour, one of 100 billion galaxies that each of them are all spinning out in all sorts of different directions at 100 million miles an hour, and you think your life is going nowhere. (laughs) And I think it's that that comes to mind when I think at least about that wonderful prayer that Paul prays for the Ephesians early on in chapter 3. And what does he say? He says, I pray that your eyes would be enlightened, that you would see how wide and long and high and deep is the love of God in Christ that surpasses knowledge. And don't forget that last bit. It means when you start to grasp a little bit of how much God loves you, what you've found is already out of date because there's even more for you to find. How big and wide and high and deep as dearly loved children. I had preached this, I had written articles about it, but my friends, when you lose an identity, that's when you discover how deep it's gone. And that's when you discover the great opportunity that this can go deep and deep and deep within you. You are a child of God. And for students, as you're wrestling, you've been able to beat all the competition to make it to one of the greatest universities here, Oxford Brooks, and its lesser-known cousin, Oxford, I know, they're able to make it here and finally then feel the pressure. But beyond being the engineer or scientist or artist or whatever it is that you're here to do, you are a child of God. May that be your primary identity. My primary identity for too long was writer, speaker, broadcaster. My primary identity is being a child of God. Child of God. As dearly loved children. I've probably mentioned this story to you before. I'll say it again in this context because I think it kind of helps to see how this can work. I was speaking at another church one night and afterwards a guy came up to me and he said, uh, I don't go to church. Uh, I've never gone to church and I've never been to this church. But I was walking out front and something just drew me in. I felt like I had to come. And everything you've said tonight, I was speaking from the Resurrection Year book about how God can turn broken dreams into new beginnings. Everything that you've talked tonight is exactly what I needed to hear. Because tonight I was going to take my life. I was going to get drunk. I was going to jump off that bridge down the road. But I'm not going to anymore. Because now I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. This is a message that can literally save lives. This is the gift that you have. Are you with me on this? You are children of God before you're a mum, before you're a dad, engineer, artist, teacher. This is good news. There's another one who was walking along with us on this pilgrimage, walking along, if you like. Mrs. Cuthbert. Christianity came to the United Kingdom in probably the kind of very early second century, early 100s, um, but it remained a Roman religion. So when the Romans went back with their tail between their legs, what kind of was left of Christianity just died out and everybody became pagan again. Uh, it wasn't until the 5th and particularly 6th and 7th centuries that then the gospel took root in the British heart, particularly through people like Bede and Hilda and Aidan and my blessed 
Cuthbert. He's become my favorite saint. This guy had Lindisfarne as his base. He went out on mission with the Gospels in his hand, and he was preaching up a storm and baptizing thousands everywhere. And as a result of that, really, Christianity spread. So this is why Lindisfarne, that little tiny island, is often called the cradle, or at least a cradle of Christianity in the United Kingdom, because of the work that happened here. And he left quite a legacy. A few years after he died, the monks got together and produced this, the Lindisfarne Gospels, one of the most precious works of art that Britain owns. It's so frail, 1,300 years old, that it only comes out of the British Library once every 10 years, has to be kept in a vacuum-sealed box. You can't have one page exposed for anything more than a week at a time. It's a profound piece of work, and it was done in honour of Cuthbert. Not a bad legacy. How about a city? The city of Durham was built on his shrine. First came his shrine, then came a church, then came the cathedral, and the town was built around it. Not a bad legacy. He even gave us the world's first conservation laws. He is on Wikipedia, which means it must be true. (laughs) He's listed as the world's first conservationist. There was a little island to the south of Lindisfarne called Innerfarne, and that's where he went to pray when when the monks were too noisy or something. (laughs) Lindisfarne, six monks, you know, getting too noisy. Uh, It's not a place of nightclubs, I'm telling you now. Uh, So he went there and he brought these laws in that nobody could eat the local ducks and birds and things. He's the world's first conservationist. He's a tremendous, tremendous guy. But I think there was something more to his legacy than just that. One of my favourite stories of Cuthbert was when uh, a sickness, an illness, had ravaged the land And he went out on a preaching and praying tour of all the surrounding villages. And he went around to every village, and his custom was to pray for every single person in the village before he left. And he got to this one village. He prayed for everybody, and he said to his friend, a priest, he said, is there anybody left that we can pray for? And the priest went and did a little bit of a look around and found somebody. There was somebody standing at a distance. It was a mother. She was holding her child. She was... She felt too ashamed to come close to the great holy man, Cuthbert. Her child was about to die. She'd already lost one son from the plague. Cuthbert went to her, took the child in his arms, prayed for him, kissed him on the forehead, blessed him, and said to the mother, fear not, he will not die, and no one else from your household will die. And the history books tell us that that little boy lived. And I think it's that that defines something of his legacy for me. I think when the book of life is opened up and the entry for Cuthbert is written in there, I'm not too sure that Lindisfarne Gospels are mentioned, as wonderful as they are, or that a whole city was built on his shrine. I don't think he didn't even want that. I reckon probably something along like this is, is written down. A mother noticed, a body held, a forehead kissed, Cuthbert, a man of love. Cuthbert, a man of love. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. If Paul's first statements have answered the question of who am I, I'm ultimately somebody who's called to follow God's example, I'm ultimately his beloved child. 
then this is the statement that gives us the answer to the second question. What am I supposed to do in life? What's my calling? What's my purpose? My purpose is I'm to walk in the way of love, whether as a brother or as a son, as a husband, as a writer, speaker, broadcaster, engineer, artist, whatever it might be, as a mother, as a father, this is to be the stream, the river from which all the tributaries of our life flow, whatever your career path. We are called to be people who walk in the way of love. This is your primary calling. Some of you know that there is a little Carmelite monastery up on Boar's Hill, and they've got little rooms that you can hire to, uh, to pray in. And so sometimes I'll go up there and, and have a little prayer retreat up there, and one day I was praying, I was thinking, Sheridan, you always deal with things alone, you need to talk to somebody. So I, I put a request out, and very soon there was this Irishman on my front door, uh, dressed in the, the, the robe and the little woolen skull cap, and uh, his name was Father Liam. And so Father Liam suggested we went to one of the little meeting areas to, to go and pray. So we, we went to the, one of the meeting areas and we sat down and he suggested, shall I, shall I open in a word of prayer? And I thought, that's great, but just don't get too Catholic on me. Because I thought it would get a little bit awkward if he started beseeching Mother Mary or something, you know what I mean? Or am I just alone in this? <laughs> anyway, so we close our eyes and he says, Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And I thought, well, that's a good start. <laughs> that's a good start. Would you be in our meditation and our conversation? I like this guy already. Would you guide our conversation and our talk for your sake and for our sake? And I say, Amen. And then he adds, and Mother Mary, would you pray for us now? <laughs> anyway, I cloak my Protestant scruples in a moment of, um, of quietness, and when I open my eyes, he's already there waiting for me. I say, well, here's the story. And I told him about the IVF. I told him about the adoption. And I told him about the special diets. I told him about all that not working. I told him about the job offer from Oxford. I told him about not knowing who I was anymore because of not being a writer, speaker, broadcaster, and all that kind of stuff. And he listens carefully to all of that. And he says, so you're not broadcasting here in the UK? And this is a few years ago, and I wasn't. And I said, no, I don't even know if I'm supposed to. And Liam said, hmm. And how is your marriage? And I thought... Liam, I've come here to talk about my purpose in life, not to talk about my marriage. But it was a welcome enough question. And I said, well, Liam, Marin and I now know the strain that can be put on a marriage going through childlessness. We know why now so many marriages can bust up going through this process. When you've not only got drugs involved with IVF and they're throwing the woman into kind of hyperactive states and then kind of putting them into a almost like a menopause afterwards, you know, like up and down with the emotions and everything, um, but not even beyond that, even just the decision-making and when you're on the different pages about things. I said, we had 10 years of that, and we fought it, and we got through, and somehow we were able to stay close, and in fact, we got closer through it. And Liam had this big grandfatherly smile, and he says, I'm so glad to hear that. Sheridan Covenant is the core of the gospel. God's covenant commitment to us and our covenants, our commitments to each other. And marriage is one of the greatest symbols of that gospel to the world. Sheridan, how many people need to see a marriage like that? 
like yours, that's able to get through this and still have that covenant maintained. Sheridan, they get so few examples of it. Sheridan, you may not realize the impact you're having already beyond what you do or your job or your career by simply being who you are. Yeah, but what's my purpose in life? (laughs) We finally got back to that question later on in the night. And he asked me how the book was going, the Resurrection Year book. And I said, well, it's kind of surprising, actually. Single people have been telling us that they're finding hope to walk on. And single people and childless couples are finding hope. And I talked about guys walking into churches and not jumping off bridges. And again, the smile came onto his face. And he said, do you see what's happening there? Do you see what God is doing? The lack of a birth in your life is birthing life in others. Somebody tweet that out. I mean, that's good. (laughs) The lack of a birth in your life is birthing life in others. And gosh, that phrase stuck with me, really stuck. Follow God's example as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love. Paul unpacks what he means by that by going on. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, walk on with just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, I think we can all agree that touching lepers was a great act of love from Jesus, and raising little girls back from death was a great act of love, and opening blind eyes was a great act of love. But I think we can also agree that the greatest act of love that Jesus showed the world was to go through the indignity and the injustice, and the torture of the cross, was it not? That is where our sins were forgiven. That is where our reconciliation to God was made possible. That is where the whole redemption of the world began, all the creation as well, at that very moment. And what did it come from? It came from a moment of lack, a moment of loss. There was a lack of birth of life. There was death. And what happened? It resulted in Jesus' greatest contribution to the world. Could it be, friends, that this will be the same way that God will use us to bring the best contribution that He wants to make through our lives? Could it be that as we bring our trials to Him, the empty places in our lives, the place where the husband should be and he's not there, or the wife and she's not there, or the children should be, they're not there, or the career, that's gone, I'd like that to be there, the empty places, the loss, the lack, the trials, the difficulties, the difficult childhood, maybe it could be that, when it's offered up to God, that that could be the very thing that He uses to love the world in the most powerful, transformative way through your life. We've seen some examples of this. Johnny Erickson Tata, she becomes a quadriplegic through a diving accident. The result is Johnny and Friends, a ministry that touches people with disabilities all around the world. Chuck Colson, not a victim, he was a sinner. He had his part to play in the Watergate scandal in the 1970s that brought down Richard Nixon. He went to prison because of his role in it. He was a perpetrator. He became a Christian in prison, saw that everybody in the prison needed to find the gospel, as well as the families that were left back home, as well as the victims. He started prison fellowship. It's touched millions of lives today. What about Bill and Bob? Get together trying to talk through how they can help each other in their alcoholism. They come up with 12 little steps. And the result is Alcoholics Anonymous. It was through the trial 
that then they were able to love God and bring their greatest contributions to the world. I could give you lots of different examples of unfamous people. Met a guy named Russell. He was driving down the road on his motorcycle. A car came and crashed into him. The next thing he knows, he's looking at his legs and one's gone. Do you know what he's done? He started something called Amp Camp for teens who are also amputees. Now, teenage years can be, you know, difficult at the best of times, let alone just say if you've lost half a limb or something. He gets these people together in a camp. They all find camaraderie and self-esteem together. Could not have happened without that trial. Could not have happened without the crack. Think about this lady who said that as a result of having a stillborn son, God had given her a passion to help parents with special needs children. A passion. Think about this other woman who um, was ministering with at a retreat centre. And she prayed, with, she prayed with such power. And nobody knew that she was a survivor of not one but two suicide attempts. God had taken that loss, God had taken that trial of her life and turned it into a channel, a channel that the Holy Spirit could then touch other people through. And, oh, my goodness, he touched people through her prayers. I'm going to ask Jenna and the team to um, come up and lead us in worship. Um, who am I? Who is Sheridan? Sheridan is a son. He's a husband. He's a brother. He's a friend, hopefully. Um, Sheridan is a dearly loved child of God. Sheridan, what is he, what is he called to do? Who's he called to be? He's called to be, well, whatever you know, God puts in front of him, and yes, gifts and talents and opportunities and things like that are a part of that, but the big river from which all the streams flow is I am called to be a person who walks in the way of love. And I hope and pray I try to do that every day. Fail every single day, but that is our calling. Life going wrong can sometimes be a gift. It can help us discover a bigger picture of who we are, can take us deeper into our relationship with God, and it could even release our greatest gifts into the world. Let's pray. I'm going to ask for a response because I think we should this morning, but I think it might be out of one of three or four different things. So let's just pray. So, Lord, by your Spirit, I ask of God that you would so work in our hearts now and that you would draw us to a place where we are to stand for what you are calling us to stand for today, release what you are calling us to release, Receive and hold on to, claim, hold tightly to what you want to give. I pray for all of us now, Lord, as, as we wait on you. I ask, Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you move in our hearts now? Would you recalibrate our lives around this profound statement of your servant, Paul? Would you take us deep into this? So I'm going to ask you to stand if you would like to be prayed for, and you can be prayed for individually by somebody else if you like, but I'm just talking about now, we'll just pray for you just as a group. Um, if that first sentence of Paul's, maybe you have devalued the little things, the little acts of love that you do, like that friend Susan, and do you want to focus again, not so much on your career, but you want to focus on following God's example and 
being a person of character. If you want to stand for that today, I invite you to stand now and we'll pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Quite a few of you. If you have been building your identity primarily on a good thing, but ultimately it's the second thing, you've been primarily building your identity on either your parental status or your career or your hoped-of career, and you want to say today, from today, I am now making a statement. My primary identity is as a child of God. Would you stand? primary identity from now on. Okay. Thank you. And if you want to make a statement to God, (laughs) to yourself, that your primary purpose in life is to walk in the way of love. Love is to be the defining note of your song. This is going to be your tone. Whatever you do in whatever career path you're called to, and in relation to this, if you would like to offer the trials that you've gone through to be presented to him as a tool in which he could use to release your best gifts into the world, would you stand? We'll pray for you as well. Okay, a few people here. It's just so good to know that trials can be redeemed. Friends, if we didn't have God, that is a completely new idea to religion in the world. Jesus is the one who redeems the brokenness. This is, this is our inheritance. Oh, so, Lord, I ask in Jesus' name for those who want to stay and stand in the first, for the first point and say, I am going to pursue being a person who follows after your character. No matter what I do, I am going to value the little things, the acts of forgiveness and love and kindness and tenderness and compassion, whether they have a job title associated with them or whether they have some sort of thing that I can write in my resume afterwards. Without all of that, I am going to value those things because they echo your very nature. Lord, for those people who stood for that, I pray for a sealing of your Holy Spirit in their lives now, that this would go deep and this would be something that would give them new life and joy and open their eyes to see the great value of the things that they're already doing and the good things you call them to do from this point on. I ask it in Jesus' name. For those people who want to claim their child of God identity as uh, their primary identity, their primary status, oh Lord, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And we say, thank you. Thank you. It's ours. We accept it. We're grateful for it. And from this point on, we are As much as we are mothers and fathers and brothers and engineers and teachers and editors and everything else, uh, Lord, we are primarily your children. This is the primary thing in our mind when we think about who we are. We are your children, I pray, Lord, for those people that you would anoint them and touch them and seal this decision with the powerful work of your Holy Spirit. May something go deep, deep, deep within their heart, deep within my heart, Lord, because I have to remind myself of this every single day. 
And for those people who have stood to be uh, people who want to have love defining their lives and particularly who want to have their trials redeemed, I say, Lord, by the name of Jesus, would you do what only you can do and turn this around into something just like Sally's pot? It's broken, it's been put back together, it's been mended, but there's a beauty that's come out of it that couldn't otherwise have come without the crack in the first place. So I pray, Lord, for people who have had those difficult childhoods and they have had the losses, they haven't got what they want in their lives now. Each one of those spaces, I ask, would you flood by your Holy Spirit, turn them into profound channels of blessing and grace. May the lack of a birth, whatever that birth was wanted in their life, may it be something that's used to birth life in others. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And if you can say amen to that, say amen. Amen.